Hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you so much for being here with us and being a proactive parent, getting the resources that you need, because I am here to share with you that children can recover from autism and a lot of parents are still learning this and we know everybody's level of recovery is different, but they can definitely improve. For me, my son, I, when he was diagnosed with autism, I was told to drug him and try behavioral therapies and that would be all we would be able to do for him, that we would be managing symptoms the rest of his life. But as a craniosacral therapist of now 30 years and I had studied the brain and I knew that the brain could heal and I wanted to know what the causes of my son's issues were and not just mask symptoms. So with dangerous drugs too, that could be, you know, actually have negative side effects. So I began doing my own research as you're doing right now. And fortunately, after a decade of diligent research and trial and error, my son today is no longer even diagnosable with his symptoms of autism. Now, anything, any form of better is better to give quality of life to a child. So if you have a child who can't speak and now they're speaking, and I've worked with parents in my mentoring program, their children were, they were told their child would never speak. Now they're speaking. Children who weren't sleeping are sleeping. They couldn't focus in a classroom. Some have gone from D's in a classroom to A's. I mean, there, there are so much possibility for our kids and every child's different. But if you know the right things to do, then you're going to get the best possible result. And so that's what I'd love to share with you. And uh, I will be doing, an actually, uh, this is the first announcement of it, a big live event I'm going to be doing in the end of July. So stay tuned for information on that as well, um, where I'm going to be just wanting to go through some of the informational educational pieces and so you can start implementing. But for now, I also have a free webinar I've created to walk you through the four stages to naturally recover from the symptoms of autism so that you know what those are. And it starts with beginning with the educational process to understand what all needs to happen because it's much more than diet. And you can get that free uh, webinar at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. No spaces, just free workshop. And that is available for you and feel free to share it with anybody you know who could be interested. There are a lot of parents with autism who are searching for that information. And, um, and so I'm happy to have you share it with anybody who would be interested. And I had a lot of questions around uh, histamine uh, intolerances and histamine triggers. And I've done a show in the past on specifically on also on mast cell activation. We're going to wrap those two together today. Histamine and, and mast cell uh, triggers. So what what are the things that kind of come together that cause our children to physically and emotionally and behaviorally sort of regress at times. And um, today we're going to be discussing this with Dr. Beth O'Hara, who has been on the show with us before, who I did, I'll we'll link to that um, on the show notes today, a uh, link to the mast cell activation episode we did in the past uh, issues on histamines that we did as well. And I'd like to give you a little bit of background on Dr. O'Hara. Uh, Dr. Beth O'Hara is a functional naturopath specializing in complex chronic health conditions related to mast cell activation, including autism spectrum disorders, mold toxicity, histamine intolerance, 
and chemical sensitivities. She is the founder and owner of MassCell 360, a functional naturopathy practice designed to look at all factors surrounding health conditions, genetic, biochemical, mental, emotional, social, and environmental. She is a doctoral candidate in functional naturopathy through the New Eden School of Natural Health, and she holds a master's degree in marriage and family therapy with a bachelor's in physiology, psychology. She is certified in functional genomic analysis and a research advisor for the Nutrigenomic Research Institute. And uh, her website is masscell360.com, but we will link to all show notes for today at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 86, because this is show number 86. And Dr. Beth O'Hara, I thank you, uh, Dr. O'Hara, so much for being here with us today. Again, appreciate you coming back and, and your time and your expertise to be here with us today. I'm so excited to be back with you, Karen. I love your work. And um People on the autism spectrum are really near and dear to my heart because I identify with being on this spectrum myself, and this is an area I'm really passionate about. Yeah, it is important. I mean, I was at the grocery store the other day. I I saw some parents walking with their son. He was about 15. The father was very sweetly holding the son's hand, and the the son, you could tell, needed assistance, and and it just, it, it does touch my heart, especially as a parent of a child who was diagnosed with autism and being told that my son couldn't get better, if I had listened to those people and really not done anything else or drugged him, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't have improved. He wouldn't have the fulfilling experience, you know, life that he has today. He just graduated college two weeks ago. He lived on his own in in his own apartment, almost a thousand miles away from me. When he was a child, when he had those symptoms, I could have never almost imagined it. And I, but I wanted it for him. I wanted him to have a, you know, just a normal, happy, and healthy and fulfilling life. So, that's what I really have this um, this strong desire to to reach parents and help them to understand, you know, many of the things that are going on in their child's biology that is causing a lot of their symptoms of autism and that they can definitely get better from it. And I know you did have your own experiences with mast cell activation and histamine intolerances, and, and you can identify as somebody who, who, has been, um, who has been diagnosed on the spectrum yourself. And so can you give us a little bit of background on that for, for people especially who have, who have not heard from you before? Sure. And first, I just want to say congratulations to your son. That's so exciting. And Thank you. I, I, I did have my own experiences, and this was back, you know, I'm in my 40s, Karen. So when I was growing up, you, you, no one really talked about autism, and it wasn't something that was really well known. The first time I heard of it was when I was in college. And I was mildly on the spectrum. I really identify with Um, I like the term Asperger's still, even though that's not part of the diagnostic language anymore. And I, as a child, I had a lot of health issues. I had mold toxicity, heavy metals, Lyme. We didn't know of any of that then because the area I grew grew up in, first the time, but also the area wasn't progressive like that. And so I was taken doctor to doctor, put on lots of medications, antihistamines, mast cell stabilizers. And they helped with the symptoms, but my health gradually got significantly worse to the point where I was, um, so I had a full scholarship to go to medical school, which is quite rare to get. And I had to turn it down, which was one of the most devastating 
moments of my life, but I turned it down because I was so ill. I was bedridden and had severe anxiety. So I just finished out my bachelor's degree at that time. And that was quite a push to do that. And the autism symptoms manifested for me with experiences like just really having a trouble understanding other kids' motivations. I couldn't understand their jokes. I, I could not figure out how to enter their world. It was like there was this chasm and I didn't have the bridge. And I had a really hard time languaging my own experiences, but I could process and synthesize anything that I was studying and had a almost photographic memory for maps and things like that were great academically, but socially made me very strange and um, very outcast as, as a child. And I, we, we didn't have any you know, way of knowing that. I was just a weird kid, the smart weird kid. And I kind of found my tribe in college and looking back, realized that my tribe was everyone on the engineering campus who had Asperger's. So we just got each other. Um, but those symptoms I, I was able to work with and worked a lot on my health, improving my health and these root causes that I work in and work with quite a bit. And then I did a lot of work on um, I took voice lessons for years to learn how to have this modulation in my voice because it was just monotone. I worked really hard on body language and facial expressions. I took yoga for many, many years. And things like that, like yoga or like the voice lessons were harder for me than 10 times harder than um, studying calculus or genetics or biochemistry, if that makes any sense. It does. And it's interesting because it seems like such a simple thing. You know, some people are just sort of monotone, but you don't really realize that there might be difficulty for them in projecting and that you would actually take a, a, a class or lessons to 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 modulate the voice, your voice just because it was that much of an issue. You know, I mean, it's like something you don't think about as much when you're, you know, when you when you don't have that issue, or or even if you do, and you think, oh, is that something I should be doing right. something about? Well, voice modulation. And people projected so much on me because I didn't have facial expressions, and so they assumed mm-hmm. that I was angry or cold or um, judging them. And most of the time, I was just extremely anxious and trying to figure out what the right thing to say was in that situation. So I studied emotional intelligence really in depth and full time for 10 years. And that made a huge difference as well, because I had this, and especially one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is because there's so little information on women on the spectrum. And I think women get an even harder time sometimes because we're expected to be more emotionally, um, emotionally engaged, but learning that allowed me to bridge this deep, rich emotional landscape I had inside and empathy and compassion and connect it out to other people. Yeah, you've come a long way. And that's, it's very encouraging for our audience to listen to, because I I do find when I talk to some parents of children on, on the autism spectrum, that the parents tend to have, uh, you know, some of the similar issues. It's very common. 
And I think some parents are now, even that were undiagnosed years ago, are identifying themselves as maybe somebody who has, um, is possibly on the spectrum. So it's good to know that, you know, it's it it's just something to learn to, to work with and, and to learn more social cues if, if you need those, but also that there are health-related issues behind it, as you mentioned, and how sick you were that you had to give up a medical practice or a medical scholarship, but that you've overcome that. And that's, that's really the key is that these things can be overcome. We need to take a very short break right here. You are listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi there and welcome back to naturally recovering autism i am your host karen thomas and today we are talking about histamine and mast cell triggers and if you haven't heard about either of those or mast cell before we are going to to get into this now we've got dr beth o'hara with us who's an expert in both of these fields so dr o'hara for especially for people who are unfamiliar with this can you talk about what what actually is histamine intolerance and mast cell activation Yes, and this is really critical for anybody that is on the spectrum or has children on the spectrum. And I, I am not seeing enough people talking about this. But the mast cells are, you can think of them as the frontline defender and sensing cells of the immune system. I like to think of them like the guards of the castle gate. And it's their job to sense and recognize toxins and pathogens. They also respond to stress and a number of other things in the environment like electromagnetic fields. And those mast cells have inside of them, they're really fascinating, over a thousand different mediators, just quite incredible. And they can release those either all at once, which is um, would cause quite a lot of symptoms, or they can release them selectively depending on what they're responding to. One of the mediators that they release, and the best known one, is histamine. And histamine acts as a neurotransmitter in the body, as an inflammatory molecule. It regulates sleep-wake cycles. It has a lot of roles. And so we can have two different types of issues that are interrelated with mast cells and histamine. So the more simple one is histamine intolerance. And this is where either the body's overproducing histamine or someone's over-consuming high histamine foods, which would be things like spinach, strawberries, pineapple, processed foods, um, beef because it's aged, um, yogurt, even beef, um, bone broth. These are higher histamine foods, and they're not bad foods. It's just that people that are sensitive to histamine have more troubles with them. And 
that histamine intolerance, so if there's more histamine in the body, then the histamine degrading enzymes can break down. You'll get an overflow of histamine and that can cause a number of different types of symptoms like itching, rashing, rashes, trouble sleeping, um, swelling, digestive issues, particularly associated with diarrhea. And that's just a small handful. And then if we take this and look at a bigger picture of the role in mast cells, so histamine, when there's a histamine excess, it can trigger those mast cells and the mast cells then can release more histamine, but other mediators too, like prostaglandins, leukotrienes, cytokines. There's a lot of talk right now about cytokine storms that's been going on for a while and the mast cells have a role in that as well. Now, the, the reason this is so critical in autism is because we know that autism is a neuroinflammatory disorder, particularly in the brain. And there are huge amounts of mast cells in the brain. And wherever there's inflammation, there's mast cell involvement because the mast cells are producing so many inflammatory molecules. Now, they get a kind of a bad rap unfairly. So the mast cells themselves aren't bad. We don't want to knock them out. We don't want to get rid of those mast cells. They are essential for our bodies to be able to respond to viruses and bacteria and parasites and molds and also really critical for injury repair and recovery after injury and even things like most people have had experiences with the mast cells where if they had a splinter or a little piece of glass or something stuck in the skin and it didn't get out fast enough, then you start to get redness and swelling around that. And that's a mast cell response producing inflammation to surround that particle that shouldn't be there, a um, little splinter, a piece of glass. And then they, it orchestrates the rest of the immune response and calls in the other immune cells. So that's, that's that role of the mast cells and the histamine intolerance and we see a lot of mast cell involvement in those on the spectrum. It's at least 50% of people on the spectrum, but you and I have talked before, Karen, that we really think it's probably the majority of people, um, probably 95, maybe maybe 100% of people on the spectrum have mast cell activation issues. Well, and that parents need to know about, you know, they'll often say, what are the, what's this, what's this itching or behaviorally? Like we, we see a lot of these physical issues, as you mentioned here too, but sometimes your kid can get really hyperactive or, or all of a sudden they, again, with the sleep-wake cycle, it can, it can really hyper you up and make you not be able to sleep at night. And it's summertime. I find this with the swimming pools, chlorine can be a big histamine trigger Mm -hmm. and parents aren't aware of it. And they're thinking my child went swimming today. That's the only thing they did differently. And that's really good to know that, uh, that swimming pools, um, and the chlorine in them can also be a trigger. So it can be physical, as you mentioned, but it can also be a behavioral, uh, symptom. It can, and we can think of it as being um, first causing significant neurotransmitter changes. And there's something that we talk about in the mast cell world called mast cell rages. And this is where if you have quite a lot of mast cell activity all at once, you can get significant anxiety or this huge amount of anger or just this energy, this uncontainable energy that makes it really hard to settle down. And that is a part of what's happening behaviorally. And one of the things that it's so important for us to remember is that 
the kids, when they're going through this, they can't control it because one, it's, it's on the neurotransmitter and the signaling level, but also at a young age, we don't have the tools to know how to calm ourselves down. And that's why those tools are so critical to learn to teach kids on the spectrum at whatever capacity they can learn it, emotional re regulation, um, ways to calm themselves down. But there are ways that we can improve that kind of mast cell activation. And I've had, I've worked with a number of kids on the spectrum and some of my favorite clients. And I had a kid who was having three or four, sometimes 10 seizures a day. And as we got the mast cells calmed down, and he had some other things going on, um, an issue with the heme pathway, that's a whole other topic. But as we calm these things down, he hasn't had a seizure in three months, which is quite remarkable. And then I've also have a young boy that I'm working with, and I'll just call him Chris. And Chris was having trouble sleeping where he would toss and turn, he'd get kick the covers off. He there was just like all night long. He couldn't be still. He'd be asleep, but almost was like he was in REM sleep all night. And he couldn't make eye contact, had trouble answering questions. If you asked him any kind of questions, he just couldn't formulate the response. And as we worked on the mast cell activation, that's significantly improved. He's sleeping deeply. He's making eye contact. Communication is really good now. And so I, I love these stories that give people hope. Well, and it gives parents answers too. They they sometimes are are you know working with their child, and you know there's a lot to know as as, as you and I know about uh, working with all of it. I mean, there are so many pieces. There's the whole all of the gut issues and the immune activation, and uh, as you mentioned, heavy metals earlier, toxins, lime, mold. I mean, it just you know depends on what's what's going on for the child, but. Uh, but learning about all of these is, is the first step so that you can understand. And then knowing, like I said, some of these sensory calming techniques. Uh, but also I think it's really good for us to, to, to talk about, you know, we mentioned some of the histamine triggers, but, but what you're doing to work with mast cell activation as well. Because I'm sure as soon as you said that, as I did, a lot of parents are thinking, okay, so how do you work with mast cell activation? And I know it's it, a lot of it is to remove remove a lot of the triggers that are happening. So what would you say are some of the, the key things that parents can know, uh, even even simply at home, to do to, to help reduce the mast cell activation? Exactly. The, the very first step that I do with every new client is a root cause analysis. And so I look through the, their whole health history and identify what are these specific root triggers for this person. And they can be so different case to case, and yet you can still get similar presentations or um, each person on the autism spectrum can have different types of triggers. And I think that's what's made this so mystifying because Sometimes it's a combination of mold toxicity, lime and metals. Sometimes it's a combination of um, different kinds of bacterial infections and chemical toxicities and, and things that happen in utero. And so I do have, um, I'm really big on creating lots of free resources for people. And I've got a free report out on our website and it's just at masscell360.com slash free report. And that would allow parents to start to step through and identify which ones of these might be going on for my child and which ones do we need to look into. And 
I always start with a um, low histamine diet and see how much does that start to clear up symptoms. And for some people, um, a diet like the GAPS diet is incredible and excellent. It helps quite a lot. And that diet, um, if anybody's not familiar with it, really emphasizes a lot of bone broth and fermented foods. But for those of us with histamine intolerance and mast cell issues, it can be a much bigger trigger. And that's one of the ways I got in trouble with my health was I was working so hard and I was making kombucha and kefir and all my ferments and my kitchen looked like a little mini laboratory. And um, I was doing grass-fed beef and eating lots of spinach. And I didn't understand the role of histamine at the time. And I was getting, my sleep was getting worse. I was itching all the time. I couldn't stop itching, having rashes, digestive issues. But low histamine diet for many people, not all, but many people will start to help take the edge off and start to lower the bucket of the histamine and other inflammatory mediators. And then from there, we wanna look at what else could be triggering. And I know one of the main things we wanna talk about today is the role of medication. So a lot of children on the spectrum are prescribed another number of medications and they're not always histamine and mast cell friendly. And how does a parent know, uh, you know, if because a lot of these things are just prescribed randomly and then the parent is told to get them and start their child on them. And I mean, you can watch your child's behaviors change. I mean, some of them are t- supposed to calm your child down. So then uh, is one way to just for, for them to know if they start seeing their child get more hyperactive or would there, what other signs would they, would they look for initially to know that that might not be a, might not be a good medication for their child or that's triggering mast cell activation? Yes. Yeah, so classic signs would be things like increased flushing, um, increase in itching, increase in sleep problems, development of um, diarrhea, although many kids on the spectrum suffer more with constipation. So that part may not happen just because of where the gut is oriented towards. These are the kinds of things to look for. If behavioral issues increase, anxiety, if engagement decreases, the ability to make eye contact decreases. Or one of the other things that's not talked about often, but sometimes people on the spectrum may not have lack of eye contact. They may have over eye contact. And so watching for really just a shift, if there's too much eye contact, inappropriate eye contact, these are some of the things to keep an eye out for. Okay. Yeah. These are, these are good things for, um, I'll, I'll make a list of them too on the show notes page. And then parents can just be reminded of this because it is important to know that, well, there are negative side effects with a lot of medications anyway, and, um, they are masking a lot of symptoms and there are natural things that, that you can do. Um, but if you have your child on a medication and you're wondering if there's a trigger, then, um, then these are some of the, uh, the pieces to look for. And we'll talk further about this when we come back, we're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host Karen Thomas and thank you so much for being here with us today. We are talking about histamine and mast cell triggers and we have Dr. Beth O'Hara with us here today who is an expert on this subject and before the break we were talking about the role of medications and Dr. O'Hara I would really like to know if you, we, we've given some symptoms parents can look for to find out maybe that, that 
medication is not the right one for your child, or maybe they're not right for your child overall. And I know you have some information on some some specific medications maybe to look for, but also what the long-term usage, um, you know, contraindications can be. So could you give us some background on those things, please? Yes, for sure. So one, I want to establish that we're not talking about being anti-medication and there's definitely appropriate use for medications. And sometimes when people are really suffering and um, medications can, can certainly be important and useful, but we want to think about the long-term effects. And also there are classes of medications and certain types of medications that tend to be stronger triggers, particularly there are a number of medications that block one of the major histamine degrading enzymes called diamine oxidase. And that enzyme is made in the gut. And so there are genetic variants that can reduce those levels, but also just any type of gut inflammation is going to decrease diamine oxidase production and lead towards higher histamine levels. So some of those medications um, that are really common for people on the spectrum to be prescribed are antidepressants, particularly Cymbalta and Effexor and Prozac and Zoloft. And that happens, the, the, the issues there are twofold. One, the diamine oxidase inhibition that we just talked about, but also those will preserve serotonin. And if you get into higher levels of serotonin, that can be a mast cell trigger. So there's a sweet spot for serotonin for everyone. So these are some of the big ones. A medication that's been in the news quite a lot lately is Plaquenil, also called hydroxychloroquine, which is a generic name. And that can support mast cells. It has mast cell supporting properties in the research, but also it can inhibit that diamine oxidase. So you've got a give and take there on how helpful it can be. And then metformin, I do see some children prescribed, um, particularly who are struggling with weight. And metformin is a very, very strong diamine oxidase inhibitor. And so that's one to keep an eye on as well. Some other medications like Elevil and benzodiazepines like Ativan and Valium, they have mast cell supporting properties, but again, inhibit that diamine oxidase. So you can get some histamine issues there. A lot of people don't think of something like Valium too, that you're taking it for a, a sleep disorder to calm down and that, that it actually can cause the histamine issue that, that could actually then give you anxiety. Is that right? Exactly. And this is why we get some of what people think of as um, paradoxical reactions. I have a lot of people in my practice who have paradoxical reactions to Benadryl and I've myself had a lot of trouble with a number of medications. Another one to keep an eye out, especially if um, kids are going to have surgery, is morphine is a major histamine liberator. And I had a surgery on my foot about 15 years ago, and I remember being in the recovery room, and I, I was hooked up to this IV, and the nurse started pushing something. And I asked her what it was, and as soon as she told me it was morphine, I saw these hives just pop up all over my arms. I remember telling her, should I be having hives? And she's like, oops, let's, uh, let's back that out. So that's pretty common is that morphine reaction, lidocaine, another one that can liberate histamine. 
And some of the bigger things to also keep in mind are the fillers and the colors for the um, for these different medications as they're created normally, not compounded, but just normal prescription. Typically, they're going to have things like titanium dioxide, cornstarch, and dyes that can be particularly problematic for kids on the spectrum. Yeah, I wrote a whole post on um, on food dyes, and I have a, a bunch of information about it in my book as well. It's the the FDNC dyes. So many of those are so problematic. I mean, yellow containing lead. They they cause a lot of just um, overall. Uh, the red can cause a lot of anger issues. I mean, there there are so many behavioral and health issues going on with those food dyes that people just don't think twice about. You know, it's not even something that's on most people's radar. And um, and they are, as you mentioned. You know, you see this little pink or blue pill or whatever and you're thinking well of course that's just not a natural color for that medication so they um they've obviously put some food dye or or some dye in it and so um you know some things can be colored red with beets or other things like that but a lot of the times they are these these uh, synthetic dyes that have a lot of negative health effects right exactly and then even the white ones you think should be fine but that's often cornstarch, titanium dioxide. I had so many of these issues, particularly I remember being prescribed Nystatin, which is usually um, brown. And I didn't know back then, you know, 15, 20 years ago to take a look at the inactive ingredients. And just a half of a tablet just sent me through the roof with mood swings, anxiety. I felt nauseous and sick. And I was a hard, I had a hard time getting my practitioners to believe me on these reactions, but they are real. And it's really important that we pay attention to them for people who are really sensitive. And one of the other things we want to cover is long-term use of antihistamines and mast cell stabilizers. So short-term antihistamines like Benadryl or um, hydroxyzine, which one of the brand names is Atarax, these kinds of things, Zyrtec, Allegra, Claritin, I don't think Claritin's on the market now, but um, these medications can be very helpful short-term to calm things down, especially if there's a major flare. But we do want to consider the long-term effects. And this is one of the ways, and I alluded to this in the beginning, that I became so ill. So by the age of 12, I was on five different types of antihistamines, mast cell stabilizers, and asthma medications. And then I was having these rebound issues, having other side effects, but my allergy symptoms started to calm down. I used to have such severe allergies that touching plants outside or cut grass or I grew up in the country. And so it would be my job to feed corn to the chickens or snap green beans and doing things like that. I'd end up covered in hives and I'd scratch my skin until it bled. And that really calmed down with those antihistamines and was quite helpful, but then I was on them for years. And what I now know is the reason I became so gravely ill down the road was because those antihistamines were, there's there's two problems. One is that they will lower the histamine levels in the body by blocking the histamine receptors 
So I should rephrase that. They're not actually lowering the histamine levels. They're just blocking the histamine receptors. So the body thinks that it has less histamine and doesn't create the types of symptoms that you get. But when those receptors are blocked long-term, the body will think there's not enough histamine because we do need some to function. Histamine produces stomach acid, again, regulates the sleep-wake cycle. We've got to have an appropriate amount. But if it's blocked long-term, those receptors, then the body will start overproducing histamine. And you can get worse histamine symptoms as a rebound effect and then need more and more and more antihistamines over time. And this is why people end up switching brands and trying different things because it just stops working. We see that with antidepressants as well. Um, different mediator, but same kind of issue. And then with these kind of medications and the mast cell stabilizers as well, if we're blocking the mast cells long-term, then we've just taken out the guards of the castle gate. So we have to think about why are those mast cells so stirred up and why are we getting these issues? Well, the problem is the mast cells are protecting us from the underlying pathogens and toxins. And so when we take those mast cells out of the equation with medications long-term, we've taken our defenses out. And then any kind of chronic infection, toxins, these have free reign in the body. And this is where we get lots of long-term issues and compounded effects. And when you say long-term effects and compounded issues, can you give us a couple of those? Sure. So in my, my own experience, um, again, the allergy issues improved, but then I started having worse sleep issues. I started having severe anxiety and it wasn't like it was a side effect because it took a couple years for these things to start happening. Um, I've seen people who have gotten a great improvement in their symptoms for a year or two, and then they're massively more inflared with inflammation, sleep issues, digestive issues, um, brain issues, like behavioral issues, mood swings, those kinds of things. And like you're saying, they might not even, you know, if you've been on something for a year and it's come on very, very slowly, you don't even maybe attribute it to being caused by that medication. You think that it's something new in your life or that something's going on because it's easy if it's night and day, like you start taking something new and it happens right away. Um, then it's a little easier, a lot easier to see versus if you're looking at something that you've been taking for a year and over time, you know, you're, you've got this anxiety growing or these sleep issues growing or these behavioral issues, same thing. So yeah, that's really, really helpful to know too. Exactly. And then with the H2 blockers, so these are things that are used for acid reflux, Tagamet, Pepsid, Zantac, those types of medications, again, can be very helpful short term, but we also always have to think about what's gonna be the long-term effect. So those medications decrease stomach acid when they block the histamine receptors in the stomach and in the gut. And so they may be very helpful short-term to help people get more foods on board, increase food tolerances, but then we need to wean off of it because when you lose your stomach acid, you're gonna lose the ability for that stomach acid to kill off bacteria, parasites, and food and that opens us up to all kinds of gut infections down the road. 
Right. And a lot of kids with uh, on the autism spectrum have problems with low hydrochloric acid or stomach acid. Um, and some will even take supplements uh, as well to, to build that up because they're not, especially with protein, they're not able to digest it. They end up with a lot of acid backup and GERD issues. And so this uh, that's really um, important, I think, for parents to, to recognize as well um, that uh, some of these non-natural, uh, these medications and th other things that they, they could take long-term, how they can continue to keep the gut ill when the parent might actually be doing a lot of work to try to get the gut better. So, you know, we need to take a short break right here, but stay with us. We will be right back. Introducing BetterHomeAndGarden.com. That's www.BetterHomeAndGarden.com with just the letter N in Better Home and Garden. BetterHomeAndGarden.com offers you the highest quality products on the market that are environmentally safe and effective and to make them available to you at the lowest possible prices. BetterHomeAndGarden.com understands that kind of creativity and do-it-yourself attitude. Thus, we developed our website, BetterHomeAndGarden.com. BetterHomeAndGarden.com offers you the following products right online. Bath, bedding, collectibles, craft, sewing and hobby, food and beverage, furniture, home decor, kitchen and dining, lamps and lighting, large appliances, musical instruments, outdoor cooking, patio items, pet supplies, plant and garden, rug and floor coverings, small appliances, travel and luggage, and so much more. Better Home and Garden is an online retailer offering a wide variety of high-quality brand-name merchandise at discount prices. Our service is personal and we aim to please. Visit us at www.betterhomeandgarden.com. Make your home your own. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi there and welcome back to naturally recovering autism i am your host karen thomas and today we're talking with about histamine triggers and mast cell activation with dr beth o'hara and there are a few things that i want to link to in the show notes um, especially we've talked about a little bit about some of the other triggers like mold and lyme and uh, I want to, any links I'll put at the show on the show notes page will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 86. So you can find those uh, after the show has been on, you'll be able to go back and find that, um, these links there, as well as Dr. O'Hara's uh, site and her information. And Dr. O'Hara, I'd like to ask you, you know, we've talked about medications and, and that they can be histamine triggers. And some parents have had their children on them short term, some of these medications short term, and some have been on long-term. So what would you suggest? What do you do if your child's been taking these medications for a while? Right. So first, don't pull your children off of these medications cold turkey because you'll get a lot of rebound effects. And especially for those of us who are super sensitive, we need to have those types of changes occur slowly. But really important to work with your provider because 
either sometimes these medications, even though they're having problems, it may be more important to stay with it short term and until the root pieces are addressed. Or if it is time to come off, I always encourage everyone to come off really slowly. And I'll share that. So I had to use Benadryl for about four years to be able to sleep. And at the time that I started it, I was told, and again, this was about 15 years ago, I was told it was one of the safest medications for sleep. And I had a a brain injury as a child. I was kicked in the head by a horse. And so sleep has been one of my challenges for most of my life. And as my health got worse, the sleep got very, very bad. And when it was time to come off the Benadryl though, I tried to just stop it. And I was, it was horrible, Karen. I had anxiety was already high and it went through the roof and um, the little sleep that I could get where I could kind of drift, I couldn't even get groggy without it. And so I went back on it, but then I got um, some really great advice, which was to give myself time and plan for six months to a year to come off, which I did. I was using the dye-free gel caps and I would just cut the end off with a pair of scissors, put a toothpick into it to have it absorb a little bit um, because I wanted to take out even less than a drop. And I would go down that way and then Uh, Two weeks later, I would put two toothpicks into that gel cap to pull a little bit out. And it took me about eight months to come off of that Benadryl, but that was much better for my body. At the same time, I still had um, things going on with brain healing and had to take some very, very low dose hydroxazine to be able to sleep. And I still have to take a little bit of that today. So again, I I don't want people to think that all the medications are bad. I just want us to be able to think about it judiciously. And the biggest, biggest thing for people to do, for parents, is to really look at what those root causes are, identify them, and start to work on them. Because when you remove the underlying pathogens, the underlying toxicity, the body really can start to heal itself and we want to do this in a in a particular order so if there's mold toxicity in my practice that's what i address first is the mold toxins and then work from there and other people have different approaches but this is what we're going for and the more that we can address those in a way that works for kids on the spectrum in a way that works for people who are super sensitive so not being, not doing really aggressive protocols, but going gently. And then we can bring in other support. So using things like melatonin, um, using some bioidentical progesterone when it's needed, those can really help sleep, things like lemon balm. So these are just a couple examples of how we can start to support the bodies more naturally and then start to taper down off of medications at the right time. Yeah, sleep is a big issue with so many people too. And and as you mentioned, melatonin, if you've got the mold biotoxin issue, then it will um, deplete your, your some of your body's ability to build melatonin. And 
I've done a show in the past on neurotransmitters and, and if you're low in serotonin, which a lot of those receptors and everything are built in the gut and the gut's not working well, you can't build your serotonin. So that will help to build melatonin. So again, we're back to melatonin being uh, helpful um, for some people too. So, you know, there are a lot of different things, as you mentioned, you can do, but it really does come back to the root cause. And that's a everything I'm about is as well as if your child is on medications and you're now doing you're you're switching over to the right diet and you're doing gut healing work and you're clearing these co-infections and the toxicity and the inflammation as you do that your child might and likely won't need those medications anymore so if you're working hopefully with a, a provider who is working with you and is helpful they should help you to very slowly as dr harris mentioning very slowly be able to wean help you to wean your child off of the medications that they're on and um, because we really want to work with the causes of whatever's going on for your child and and not just masking symptoms anyway and so as you're working with their biology you're working to uh, directly work with those symptoms i mean the, the causes not just the symptoms exactly and one of the things I want to just touch on while we have a little bit of time is that mold toxicity has become such a huge, huge issue. And it's an immune disruptor. It's going to cause mast cell activation. It's going to dampen the innate immune response that's involved with fighting off viruses and bacteria. And then it disrupts the hormone system and significantly disrupts the nervous system, particularly the parasympathetic and the, the vagal nerve and the limbic system. And so I always look for mold toxicity first. That's the first thing. And I can tell you about 80% of people in my practice have mold toxicity because of how common it is now and how much of an issue that it is. And with people who are on the spectrum, it's really critical in these detox protocols that we go very gently that we don't push through and a lot of people are told we'll just push through a Herx reaction, but that's going to cause a lot more mast cell activation, which is not going to help. And so we've got to go. I, I'm a really big fan of microdosing, going super slowly, starting with binders when we're doing detox and making sure we're optimizing bowel movements, then moving into some targeted detox supports and then doing the antimicrobials. And that can take, in my practice, people are so super sensitive, it might take us six months to a year to get to the antimicrobial phase, but it goes so much better when we do that. And also when there are the other infections like SIBO and Lyme and things like that, and people keep spinning their wheels on protocols to look for mold. And mold is often underlying all of that and keeping the body from recovering. Yeah, you, we're on the same page. We do, it sounds like we're doing exactly the same things. That, and there are so many of these things that, like I always tell people, you can be in a building that looks like it's healthy, but you might actually have mold exposure that's coming through the walls or through the subfloors and you're not even aware of. I had friends that had built a brand new house and she kept insisting, and she had all of the symptoms. And, she, and I said, you know, you should do a, a hurts me test and um, I can link to mycometrics and uh, for people who want to know more about that to, to get some mold information and survivingmold.com is a great website as well. But to be able to really get true 
help with mold to be able to understand. You've got to first test your environment or the environments that you're in on a regular basis to make sure that you're not having exposure on a regular basis that you're not aware of. Uh, Because like you mentioned, and I totally am on the same page with you as far as doing it as things as slowly as possible. Parents are so eager and I understand that because it's, you almost get into a stage of panic when your child has autism and you want to get better today. But the slow is the best way. And yes, this can take a year or multiple years, but that's okay. You're going in the right direction. We are out of time today. Dr. O'Hara, thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you everyone for being and tuning in. Uh, Again, show notes will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 86. And have a great week, a safe week, and we will see you next time.